This morning we continue in the study of the book of Acts. In this particular passage, Paul is uh, being hauled before the Romans in uh, his continuing trials. So from the 22nd chapter, verses 22 through 29. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came to him and said, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I guess you read that really well, Kyle. They were clapping for you. We are in Acts chapter 22. And the book of Acts takes on a number of different uh, perspectives, and uh, it can sound very different. There are many stories in the book of Acts that we know readily. There's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. There is the story of the birth of the church, where 3,000 people, after Peter preaches, come to faith. Um, there is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. There's the story of Paul's conversion. All these stories that we know about, and then near the last half of the book of Acts, this is a section not a lot of people preach through. Acts for many churches and for many pastors, it's just easier to deal with topically than it is to go through verse by verse through the entire thing. Our commitment to just going through this book forces us then to say, listen, we believe that all of this book has a reason and a purpose to encourage us, to help us see what life looks like in the, um, in the lives of the first believers. And the reason why that is helpful for us is because there can always be a disconnect. When we think about what Jesus Christ has done, and then we say, you should go be like that, how many of you just think, but I'm not, I'm not that great? Like, I don't think I can do what Jesus did. I don't have the ability to produce miracles. I don't have the, the wisdom. I don't have the depth. I'm not God. I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. And so maybe it's, it's better that we have like human examples, right? Although Jesus is human too, by the way. I don't want to get in trouble there. But like only human examples. People like Peter and James and John. And then we begin to think, wow, yeah, they do some pretty amazing things. Realize that we're in this time where the Apostle Paul is being... Um, pressured and attacked. He's being both physically assaulted 
as, as well as everything that he is saying is constantly being challenged and argued against. Like, do you know what it's like? Like every time you have an idea that you really, really care about and the people around you are just saying, yeah, I don't agree with that. That's, that's not right. That's wrong. And they just want to argue all the time. You know, like marriage. You know what I'm talking about? Raising kids and every point you make just to receive a counterpoint. No, it's, it's harder than that. The Apostle Paul is, is dealing with um, all of these difficulties. And you just have to wonder sometimes, I, I wonder if you've ever thought about this, like does the Apostle Paul have a breaking point where he just can't do it anymore? It's in these last chapters in the book of Acts that I at least begin to wonder about that. What would it take for the Apostle Paul to go, I don't think I can do this? What would cause the Apostle Paul to say, okay, I'm out, I'm done. I mean, this is way more than I expected and I have tried as long as I could do it, but I'm done. You you do realize that for us to say that there's no way the Apostle Paul could ever have a breaking point probably denies like just how much he was dependent upon the Holy Spirit to see through this. Yeah, I'm sure it was hard for him to be constantly arguing and to be constantly rebutted, to be constantly opposed. And so what you and I get to see this morning in just these few verses is we get to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, someone who is completely sold out, not because it's easy, you would almost think when you open up the book of Acts, especially if you'd never read it before, and in the first sermon that Peter preaches, 3,000 people get baptized. Wow, it's only, in a good American story, it's only going to go up from there. It's only going to get bigger from there. It's only going to get better from there. But if numbers are what you're interested in, if outside success and accomplishments and praises, and if that's what you're looking for, then Acts 2 is the highlight and everything is downhill from there. So there must be something that is actually much, much deeper, more profound, that Luke is trying to get across to us. It actually really becomes one of those great opportunities for you and I to be grateful that the Bible, God's word to us, describes normal people going through the most difficult circumstances who are tempted to stop, who know what it feels like to be at the breaking point. And yet, by the strength of the Holy Spirit, they continue. So I hope this morning that is our encouragement from this text. The Apostle Paul finds himself on trial. He finds himself wanting to share his story. That's kind of what you'll see over and over and over again whenever they get a chance. Does anybody have a word to say? Paul, I've got a word to say. You're going to hate it, but I got something for you. And that's what's constantly happening. And yet, instead of the Apostle Paul wanting to quit, wanting to walk away, wanting to pack it up, wanting to wave the white flag, wanting to cry, spiritual uncle, the Apostle Paul remains steadfast and true. In spite of the fact that he is constantly facing painful, relentless, passionate opposition. And this is what he sees everywhere he goes. We, we've been doing this since 
probably Acts 13, when he first started that very first missionary journey, when he got there, instead of them having like this great receptive, we're so glad you're here, we'll hope you'll be a benefit to our community. No, they beat him up and left him for dead. But home is a place, right, where at least you get to go home. And then all of a sudden, like, these are the people that I grew up with. These are the people that shared much of the same ideas. I know we've gone a little bit. We've kind of moved in two different directions, but, but we're the same nationality. We've got the same history. Like, you guys can at least respect me for what I believe, right? And here he is back in Jerusalem, and it's not looking good for him. I want you to think about this. The Apostle Paul is, is actually facing his greatest opposition from his brothers in the faith, not, not, not Christian, but people who grew up, same synagogue, people who grew up, same rabbis, reading from the same book. And the Apostle Paul is just not stopped and he continued to pursue God and God revealed the truth about him through Jesus Christ. And, and now you have this very difficult moment where the Apostle Paul is continuing to say what God has led him to understand, what God has led him to believe, what the scriptures teach. And the absolutely painful, relentless, passionate opposition is coming from those that are probably in so many respects the closest to Paul. So let's think about what that's like. Do you know what it's like when the people that you love the most or the people that you care about the most like don't want to hear it anymore? This really undercuts one of the, the primary ways we actually believe we can make a difference in people's lives. You know, if you just love them and show that love, Show genuine, authentic kindness, and if you do that over time, then people will turn around, right? Isn't that how that works? That if we just constantly and persistently, we can win them over with our love. I, I, I probably preached that sermon. We can win, win them over with the truth. If we just don't give up and we just continually do that, they'll come around, won't they? And yet, actually, in the pages of Scripture, we don't see people always coming around. We see painful, relentless, passionate opposition. And that's just God to wear a person down. You know what it's like, right? One of those moments where you, you really thought, wow, I, when, we, when we were dating, I thought we were on the same page spiritually. And uh, maybe that's because we spent some time, you know, going to church, you know, typical college type experiences, but I really thought we were on the same page spiritually. But you add a few years to that marriage, and maybe a child or two, and, and maybe you'll find out that what you thought was on the same page was, was just kind of on the same page, and now you're taking your walk with Christ so much, spirit, so much more seriously than she is. And you're just really struggling. You're, you're, you're having a hard time being the one to be constantly reminding, hey guys, let's go to church today. Why do you have to fight me on this, honey? I thought we were on the same page. Well, the problem is you're taking it so seriously. What happens when the opposition <laughs> exists in your own house? 
if I just love, if I'm just kind, if I just speak the truth, like we can turn this around, right? And the Apostle Paul is dealing over and over and over again with this, with this opposition, and, and this is from people that he knows at some level and people that, that would share the same heritage with him. You know what it's like, right? Teenagers will be teenagers, and, and, and we, we did. We followed everything that we could. We, we took very seriously. We went to, to, to the, uh, to the uh, Parent Connect thing on Wednesday, which was just great. Andrea and I really were able to be blessed by that. And then when our kids hit that 13, 14-year-old uh, stage, and they started to kind of go in a different direction that made us a little nervous... We did everything. We even called in Paul and Julie and they kind of helped us, helped us out with some things. And so we were just committed that if we just loved our kids and we, were just, and we told them the truth and we showed them love, then, then we could turn them around, right? And this text really is about being faithful to God and being persistent in your understanding of who he is even when people aren't wanting to listen to you anymore. And the painful part is, even the ones that are closest to you. But you're not alone in this. A great verse to just remind you of this is actually John chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus is an example for us in so many different ways. But John chapter 1 verse 11 is a a verse of scripture that I've thought about many, many, many times because it describes the reality of what it's like when Jesus goes home, when, when Jesus speaks to those who are closest to him. And John records this, he, meaning Jesus, came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's why Jesus says that a prophet is without honor in his hometown, pointing to that proverb. And so what happens when you're in that moment when those that are closest to you don't want to listen anymore? I know what I I feel like doing sometimes is just stop talking. Stop caring. Maybe make my faith more personal. I'm not going to change my commitment, but you know what? Like like maybe I'm just going to give up on you. And the Apostle Paul is dealing with people. Look at verse 22 of our text. They're willing to listen to him until it gets to the point that they don't agree. And now then they're going to stop. And that's such a typical response. As long as you say what I want you to say, as long as you're speaking, then I will listen to you. But as soon as you venture into some area that I no longer agree, look at the passionate opposition. Up to this word about who Jesus Christ is, and particularly about the Apostle Paul being sent to the Gentiles, up to this word they listened to him, and then they raised their voices and they said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Do you get their passion? And what's interesting is the Apostle Paul is not doesn't appear to be. And Luke, by the way, has no problem describing when people in the Bible are afraid or when people in the Bible are discouraged or when people in the Bible, he's not afraid to talk about that. It doesn't list Paul as one of those casualties. 
And maybe that's because the book of Acts is full of examples of, of people that don't want to listen and yet people consistently preaching the truth in spite of it. Acts chapter 7, verse 55, we see the story of a young man named Stephen who is preaching in front of the Sanhedrin, the religious establishment in Jerusalem. And he is describing what, what God and how God works. He is describing how consistently the people of Israel rebel against God. It's like he's reading not just a story from their history, but from their present day. Verse 55, but he, speaking of Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they rushed together at him and they dragged him out and they stoned him to death. In the midst of opposition, what we actually see are people who are continually devoted to who Jesus Christ is. Opposition does not stop our mission. People not wanting to hear. People refusing to hear. People trying to undermine what we want to say, what we feel compelled to say, what the Holy Spirit is leading us to say, what the Bible says we're supposed to say. The Apostle Paul continues on. And maybe that's because we see the greatest example of all of this in Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus is finding himself in a very similar situation that Paul's in, a very similar situation, Stephen, in front of the religious establishment, Jesus is speaking the truth about who he is, the truth, the fact that he is going to come to judge the world, and then the high priest says in verse 65 of Matthew 26, then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. And then they spit on his face and they struck him and some slapped him. This is what happens to Jesus. This is what happens to Stephen. This is what ha is happening to Paul. And yet you see a man completely sold out to the mission in spite of opposition and in spite of the opposition of those that are closest to him. So what can we learn from this? How can you and I find encouragement in this? It genuinely teaches us that we are not alone in the mission that God has for his people. And that we're not the only ones to be cast to the side. We're not the only ones to be opposed. We're not the only ones that have faced hardships or difficulties in sharing our message. And therefore we can find hope. We can see in the lives of others the life of Jesus, the life of Stephen, the life of Paul, what it actually looks like to be committed, and not because it's easy, but because God has called us to do so. Now, this is always my concern, is that we look at people like Paul and we just go, yeah, but man, there's just no way I can. Well, sure. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. 
But do realize that the purpose of this writing in the book of Acts is, is not to, for us to somehow be enamored by or impressed by the Apostle Paul. But by God's sustaining power over those people who he's called to his mission and purpose. And, and, and by the way, in reality, this is the beauty of this, is that God knows where we're called. God knows the circumstances that we're placed in. And so in reality, I, I know very few people that have to go through something as specific as this. And that when we really begin to look at the circumstances that you and I are in, there are a lot of differences that need to be noted. That the kind of opposition I usually face is not this strong, it's not this intense. The kind of opposition I consistently face is, um, I'm almost like reading into it here, like would you rather me just stop talking about this? Maybe I'm reading into it, but I think maybe this relationship would go a lot better if I just didn't bring up Jesus as much. Like, would you like me to stop asking you about how you're doing spiritually? You know what I'm talking about? Those kinds of conversations, those kinds of circumstances in which you are silenced, not because anybody's opposing you, but because you can see it in their eyes. They're just not interested. And it's in moments like that that you and I can find encouragement and hope in someone like the Apostle Paul who doesn't let the response of others dictate his mission and purpose. And so he consistently and continually speaks and models the truth of the gospel. Well, the next thing that we're actually going to see in this encounter is, is that after they say get rid of them, what happens in the account is the Apostle Paul is taken from this Jewish context and he's put in a Roman one. These Romans don't understand exactly what's happening. Why are these Jews so upset with the Apostle Paul? And I guarantee you, with the language problem and not understanding the background, it's like they're missing part of the story. And so their plan now is to grab Paul, to flog him, to get to the bottom of the truth. And it's at this moment the Apostle Paul does something that he doesn't always do. The Apostle Paul in, in, in 2 Corinthians describes the number of times that he's been flogged and beaten with rods and been left adrift out at sea and he's been at danger on the land and he lists all of these difficulties that he's had. He's, indeed, he's been flogged before. But for some reason at this moment, the Apostle Paul actually speaks up. Look at verse 25 of our text. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by him, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Why does he do that? Why does the apostle Paul do that? Like why at that moment? I mean, think about how far he's gone and here he is at this moment. He decides to put an end to it. I don't want to just read, try to read too much into um, the, the kind of the psychological situation that Paul was in at that one moment. But I think most of us look at this and just go, maybe it was a breaking point. Maybe the Apostle Paul was like, I, I can't take one more beating. Like, I can't do this again. Like, it hurts. And do realize that these are professional floggers. These aren't your amateur floggers. 
Like this is, the, this is the Olympic team. These are the best that they have. And not only that, but it wasn't uncommon for people to die after being flogged. And it's at this moment that the Apostle Paul says, hey, should you be doing this? Is he trying to get out? I don't know exactly what is going through his mind. We'll wait till we get to heaven and we can ask him why at that moment. But here's what we do see in this encounter and we consistently see in the next few chapters in the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul is more than willing to use everything that he has at his disposal so that he can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's willing to talk about his past He's willing to talk about just how devoted he was. He's willing to talk about his rabbinic upbringing. He's willing to talk about, you name it, he is willing to bring anything from his past if he can use it somehow as a means to allow the gospel to be heard in this particular context. I don't think the Apostle Paul is afraid, afraid although I, I guarantee you, I don't think he wanted to take the beating. But instead, the Apostle Paul seems to be somehow convinced that I believe I can use this to live and to preach another day. Maybe in a different context. You know, if you look at the, the context of this section, Paul has just said that he's been sent to preach to the Gentiles. Then the Jews reject him. Then he finds himself in a Gentile situation. And then he uses the fact that he is a Roman citizen. And this is going to allow him to begin to preach and to teach to people that ordinarily would have never heard the gospel. To show you the degree to which the Apostle Paul is willing to go for Christ, I want us to take a quick look in the book of Romans. Turn to the book of Romans, chapters, or chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, just to see the amount of sold out, sold out devotion that the Apostle Paul has to Jesus, for, for Jesus. He's not trying to impress anybody. He's, he's trying to speak very honestly about the lengths to which he will go. To share the gospel, to make a difference for the glory of God. And in verse one of Romans chapter nine, he says this I'm speaking the truth in Christ. He's about to say some pretty, um, some pretty bold things, some, some pretty devoted type things. And he wants them to realize like, I'm not trying to use flattery, I'm not trying to impress you, I'm not trying to somehow pull on your heartstrings. I'm speaking honestly about how I'm feeling right now about my, my love, my absolute love for God, and even my love for my people, my Jewish people. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have such great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. The Apostle Paul in this section in Romans is about to talk about God's plan and God's love for those people who are rejecting him. And the Apostle Paul wants everybody to realize, listen, like I love my people so much. I love those that I was raised with. I, I love so much my Jewish brothers and sisters that if I could somehow trade my life so that they might come to know the truth, I would give it. And not only his life, he says if I could be cut off, if I could be accursed. Now obviously he can't. 
Like salvation doesn't work like that. But he is showing the degree to which he is willing to go. He's saying, if I could go to hell and everyone else would, get a, would, get, would, would experience the grace of God, I would do that. So I don't think he's afraid to take some beatings. I think the Apostle Paul realizes that there are opportunities that are outside of my control, but right now, the best way that I can see God being glorified in my life in the circumstances that I've been given right now, here I am about to be beaten, here I am being rejected by my people, he is thinking and he is being led by the Holy Spirit and he lives to preach another day. I just think we're going to see this consistently in his life. He is looking at his life at how can I use this? How can I use my citizenship to make the most of Jesus? How can I use my zealous love for the law when I was back in my old days when I was a Pharisee? How can I use that to somehow help people see who Jesus is? Do you see the degree to which he is devoted? Do you realize how encouraging that can be to us who really are just trying to make it through the day? Who look at the circumstances that we're in, be it good or be it bad, as just circumstances? Instead of prayerfully, intentionally asking, why did God give me the circumstances of my life? Why did God give me the relationships of my life? Why did God give me the friends in my life? Why did God give me the opportunities in my life? Why did God, how can I use for God the circumstances of my life? How can I use for God and for his glory and for his purpose? The gifts and the abilities. I mean, it's hard to say this as a Canadian. The citizenship of my life. How do we use these things? And that's what we see here in the life of the Apostle Paul. What we take away from this, these short seven verses where the Apostle Paul first is completely rejected and yet just does not seem to quit is that the Apostle Paul is constantly remembering his place in God's plan and God's purpose. And therefore, you and I should be encouraged to consistently, constantly remember God's plan and our place in God's plan for us, for his glory. I want to end by just going back and looking at a couple of great verses of Scripture where the Apostle Paul talks about this, and he talks about this very very honestly and very openly. He talks about the difficult circumstances he finds himself in, and he talks about how he wants to use those for, for God and for his glory. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to see it. Philippians chapter 1, he's writing to a church. He's writing from prison. He's writing from very difficult circumstances, and he, yet he wants the church in Philippi to know that everything that is happening to him is happening under God's divine control. And the Apostle Paul wants the Philippian people to see in him as someone that they can look to to model what that devotion actually looks like. 
Philippians chapter one, in verse, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes this. Like, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The fact that I'm in prison, I don't want you to be discouraged by that. The fact that I'm in a really, really, really difficult spot, I don't want you to be worried or upset about that. I want you to recognize that the circumstances I find myself in right now, in prison, actually is being used to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. See, essentially what he's saying is, is that people heard why I'm here. People are talking about it while I'm here. And so now I get an opportunity. I mean, how many people look at prison like this? Wow, these guards must really need to know about Jesus. We're trying to figure out how to get out of difficult circumstances. Instead of looking at the people that we're with in those difficult circumstances and say, oh, so God wants these people to know who he is. Remember when Andrea and I lived in Illinois, um, we were, I was in grad school at the time, and we started to strike up this friendship with our neighbors. And I'll never forget when they said we were probably there for a few months, and then all of a sudden we found out they were moving. And I remember being so sad, like, oh, I can't believe they're moving. I thought we were supposed to do something with these people. I thought we were supposed to make a difference. And, and then God brings this couple that moves in right next door to us whose life circumstances were so much different than Andrea and I. They, that we, were, we were headed in different directions. And I just remember thinking, God, what are you doing Instead of, oh, God, these are the people you've asked me to love. These are the people you've asked me to speak the truth to. These are the people that you... When you look at your circumstances, the Apostle Paul looks at the most difficult ones, and he actually says, oh, yeah, well, so when I'm in prison, then the whole imperial guard is going to have an opportunity to hear about who Jesus is. Verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The Apostle Paul looks at his imprisonment and says, Here, here's the good part about me being in jail. The good part about me being in jail is that others are encouraged to speak boldly. That's a perspective that just is so foreign to us, isn't it? In our complete and utter aversion to anything difficult or hard that somehow doesn't have a benefit for us in the long run. But the Apostle Paul is able to look at the most difficult, the most unwanted circumstances and say, God must want something done specific here. Verse 21, same chapter, Philippians chapter 1, look how far he takes it. The Apostle Paul makes a statement, how do, you, how do you be this sold out? He says this, for for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's how he looks at his life. For me to live is, is a life devoted to Jesus. To die, that's even better. If I am to live in the flesh, meaning to be alive, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire, you want to know what Paul wants? Paul's desire is to depart and to go to be with Jesus, for that is better by far. But to remain in the flesh, to remain alive, the Apostle Paul says, is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, 
for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The Apostle Paul says, everything I do, everything that I look at is for God and for his purposes. It's how I look at the smallest and most insignificant actions or life circumstances or the greatest ones. It's how I look at all of my relationships. Here's what I find interesting. It's not just how I look at my future or my present. It's even how I interpret my past. That instead of just being angry at the hand God dealt, I think God's using this for something. Instead of just wanting to quit with the circumstances you are currently in, God must be wanting me to do something with this. And in the Apostle Paul, we see someone who is completely sold out. Please, please, do not just sit back and go, yeah, well, it's easy for Paul. That's why his first name is Saint. That's what we do. How many of you look at this and go, that's him, that's so not me. That is so not me. And so we completely, Stephen, Jesus, Paul, we, we so disconnect from that. Can I tell you, like, I, I get it. I understand why there's even that temptation. I, I face it too. But you do realize, like, God hasn't called you to be St. Paul, St. Stephen, or Jesus, our Savior. I would say the vast majority of us don't even have the same circumstances that they do. Fair? But God has given you circumstances. God has given you privilege and position. God has given you a context to speak. I know. There's opposition. But if only we could learn to trust, not to be like Paul, but to trust like Paul, that God can use our circumstances. God can use our past, present, and future to make much of himself for his glory. That's our challenge this morning. How do we read this and just not be impressed by Paul, but be inspired to love and to honor God the same way he did? Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul's example. And Father, I pray that we would be able to, by your strength and for your purposes, trust in the good news of Jesus Christ, that God, your example that it would not just impress us, but inspire us. Father, free us from somehow just disconnecting, somehow just going through the motions, somehow being stuck in our life's circumstances. But instead, God, may we see our lives in light of our calling and because of Jesus live a life completely sold out for your glory, others' benefit, and our joy. And all God's people said,